The world of Black Lagoon is filled with crime, tragedy, and the deepest, darkest things that exist and plague mankind, and yet, all I can think about is, who keeps the lights on in Ranifer? Welcome back, my most excellent friends. How is the wasteland treating? I'm so very glad to see most of you still wonder, and that's what it feels like we're doing, isn't it? Just wonder. While I was watching Black Lagoon for the umpteenth time, a uh, thought in my head. A story told in any medium will, without a doubt, bring up questions. A good story will leave the audience heavily invested with questions about the characters, their past, their future, and the world they inhabit. It does all of this because it successfully transports you there. It makes it real. A good story will bring about these people, these places to life. Whether it's a city that exists in our world or a faraway place that once existed or a place that will never exist. Ooh, I said the word exist. All stories bring about questions. The problem is that a bad story will bring about the wrong sort of question. A bad story will highlight the fact that it is a story, a piece of fiction, and that it's not worth investing, because you as the audience can't lose yourself. A bad story will constantly remind you of the fact that it is in fact a story, and nothing more. Allow me to explain. Ready Player One, the movie, is pretty good. Not because its source material is a well-written story, but because the world it finds itself in is an easy enough place to develop, to lose yourself. The book, however, suffers from a lot of problems. And like I said before, it brings about the wrong sort of questions. Those questions that remind you, once again, you're a story. And that's bad. It's, it's not good. In contrast to all of this, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Fifth Element. And while it's no masterpiece, The Fifth Element brings about the right sort of questions. I've said plenty about the fifth element in one of our previous episodes, so I won't go into too much detail. Having said that, one of the little details that stays with me every time, every time that I watch this movie, is what happens afterwards. Uh, that and Zork's plan. I mean, I'm always left wondering what did he expect to gain by helping the ultimate evil. I don't know. Was it going to spare him? I, I don't know. If, if you don't remember what I'm talking about, go watch that movie at some point today. If you've already seen it, great. Watch it again. If you've never seen it, man, you're in for a treat. And if you want to do something even better, go ahead and listen to our episode about the fifth element. It's pretty good. So, what does any of this have to do with Black Lagoon? Well, Black Lagoon originally aired back in April of 2002. Yeah, 2002. Uh, it had a total of 29 episodes, which includes all of Season 1, Season 2, and Roberta's Blood Trail. That's an OVA. And that came out a little bit later, about 2010. By most anime standards, it was good. Uh, not great. It came and went. But still, my mind, Black Lagoon with such a limited run, well, it managed to ask the right question. With 29 episodes, it does something that most of us fail to even recognize. You see, the job of a writer, any writer, is to make you, the reader, forget the fact you're reading a book. I know I sound repetitive, but this is important. 
the job of the writer is to make you consume the story in that manner. And the same can be said for movies and anime as well. At this point, we're going to hit the major story beats of Black Lagoon in good detail. So if you don't wish to be spoiled, or if you're not particularly interested in listening to me talk about an anime, uh, you're free to leave. Not really keeping. And the Wasteland is out, so I kind of just want to add that. At the beginning, I said that Black Lagoon offers a window into a world of crime, tragedy, and the deepest, darkest things that mankind can offer. And yet, despite such a compelling story, all I can really think about is who keeps the lights on in Rhino. And just a few things before we really just get into this. Uh, we're going to be recording this a little bit different. In an effort to speed up production, we're going we're gonna to freestyle things just a bit. So first and foremost, let's talk about the benefits of multiple viewings. And really, really guys, if you've been listening to me long enough, you'll understand that one of the goals of my podcast, because amazingly enough, it's not just me talking to a microphone because no one else will listen. This podcast does indeed have goals. And one of those goals is to get you guys to re-watch your favorite stuff. I mean, how often do you really do that? I know some people do that a lot. They put on a movie sometimes every couple of weeks, every month, sometimes every week. It's a, it's a comfort thing. It brings peace and stability to their lives because, well, they don't have to. Well, there's benefits of watching something more than a few times. And it's not just the comfort thing or the familiarity thing. It's the fact that when you watch something for a second time, you're not really surprised by it anymore. And I know that sounds like a bad thing, but the reality is, is that it's a good thing. Because instead of focusing on the main characters or the plot or the twists and turns that happen in the story instead, you're looking at the setting, you're looking at the world, you're looking at the little details. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, before, I talked about the fifth element. We were talking about the fifth element and about how I did a whole podcast on this already. And the reality is that the little details are what's going to come up in almost all my episodes because really, it's really one of my favorite things about watching a movie or an anime it's the amount of work that a director puts into it so that you can experience it especially if you watch it more than a few times i know that some of you love those just channels on youtube where they do exactly that they review all the little details that a movie has uh, the only channel that comes to my mind like off the top of my head is cinema wins I love that channel because basically it goes through a movie and it's just this guy highlighting the things that he likes about the movies and 90% of the stuff that he likes about them are, again, the little details. When you are no longer encumbered by the fact that you have to watch the story for the story and instead you're watching for other things, you're looking at how an actor reacts to a certain line, you're looking at subtle movements, you get to see the subplot the finer nu nuances, nuances, I can never say that word right, but you get it. You get to see all the small things that are there on purpose, even things like music selection, which for someone like, for example, James Gunn, that's a, that's a big deal. Like 
just recently I was watching The Suicide Squad. And maybe at some point I'll get around to talking about that movie. I haven't decided yet because some movies are good to review. Like I like them well enough that I want to talk about them and just share my thoughts out with y'all. And other movies I watch and I'm like, okay, well, I saw that. And it's not fair because all movies, all stories have little details. It's just that some of them captivate me and, and others don't. And anyway, getting back to the Suicide Squad, the original Suicide Squad, not the Suicide Squad, the one that was made by, uh, well, I don't know who made it. I, I think it was David Ayer who directed that. Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. But you could tell that DC wanted a Gardens of the Galaxy. They wanted their own version of that, and they couldn't exactly go out and hire James Gunn. And I don't know why, because, well, that's a, eventually that's what they ended up doing, right? They, they just went and they got James Gunn when his uh, working relationship with Disney fell apart, or at least when they were on a break. I don't know exactly what's going on with Guardians 3. But um, they went and got him because that's what they wanted. And because that's what they wanted, when you watch Suicide Squad, not The Suicide Squad, you get to see all these songs, which are iconic in their own way, you know, they have a special place in the cultural history of this country. You see them mishmash, shoved in all of it in the first 20 minutes because they're trying to set a mood. They're trying to tell the audience, hey, we're just like Guardians. Uh, this is that kind of movie. And, well, we all know that it wasn't. But, again, you don't really notice that sort of thing if you only watch Suicide Squad once. By comparison, the Suicide Squad does that, but... I don't know what's up with James Gunn and how he goes about curating the music for his movies, but he just always, always does well. I, I don't understand. I guess he's just really, he has a vision for what his movies, what he wants his movies to sound like. Let's just put it like that. Again, it's the little details that make all the difference. And directors like James Gunn and who was the clown that, um, something right. Who, who's the clown that does, um, Scott Pilgrim. It's something right. Oh, how do I? How do I not remember this? I have half a mind to look it up. Wait, what was his name? In fact, yeah, I'm exactly. I'm gonna look it up while um I'm recording because what is his name? Uh, Stephen Wright? No, I think that that's the director. Let's see, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, who directed it? Director Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright. So Stephen Wright. That again, that's the comedian. So Edgar Wright is the same way. Um, Edgar Wright has a penchant for details. If you watch his movies, like again, I said Scott Pilgrim. That's one loaded with little details that you just they just totally go over the, your head the first time that you watch Scott Pilgrim. The other one that's like that is Baby Driver, which if you've never seen Baby Driver, go ahead. I would say watch that, if only to see whether you like it or not. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Would I talk about that? Would I talk about Baby Driver on this podcast? Eh, but again, why am I spending so much time talking about this? Because this is important. This is the one thing that I want you to take away from my podcast is the fact that there's a reason you should watch things more than once and you're going to enjoy them, especially if it's something you liked initially. I bet you're going to find more reasons to like something 
if you watch it more than once. So let's just get back to talking about Black Lagoon because that's the whole reason we're here, right? Uh, major story beats of Black Lagoon. Ooh, I probably should have wrote some of this down. Off the top of my head, Black Lagoon is about a Japanese businessman by the name of Rokuro Kajima. They call him Rock. That name almost never comes up in the series. Maybe episode one they use it, but for the rest of the story, they call him Rock. And Rock finds himself suddenly and unexpectedly on the wrong side of the law. He, he gets kidnapped, and eventually the people who you would think want to, you know, get him back, rescue him, pay the ransom, what have you. Those people say, forget it. Uh, we're not doing that. We're going to just leave you to the wind. And oddly enough, it's the people that kidnapped them in the first place that say, hey, want a spot on our crew? And why not? I mean, if I was offered a job to join a circus, I probably would have done it 10 years ago. I'd done it five years ago. Heck, I get that call tomorrow. I'm still doing it. So I think that's the situation Rock finds himself in by the first episode as he gets an opportunity to do something entirely different from his life and he takes it. And so he leaves Japan. Well, he had already left Japan. He doesn't return to Japan and instead he goes on to live on to the city by the name of Ranapur, which by the way, I'm going to pronounce that 10 million different ways as we go along with it. So if you've seen this anime before already and you're pulling your hair out because you're saying, what is this clown doing? He's just saying Ranapur wrong and he's saying it differently. Just pick a way to say it. Look, I'm just warning you. That's how I'm going to do it. So Rock joins this crew and the crew consists of Dutch. There's this very big, well, he's a very big black guy, older fella, Vietnam veteran. At least that's what he says. He looks to be in his what, late 40s, early 50s, isn't drawn, why, isn't drawn that way. Uh, so Dutch is the leader. Then you have Benny, who's the computer expert. And then the most interesting of the bunch is Two Hands, or, well, who the anime calls Rebby. Her name is Rebecca, but again, they never use that name. They all call her Rebby. And Rebby's interesting i i probably could do a whole episode just talking about revy because uh she's one of those 80s female action stars you know the ones that they got right she always gave me like ellen ripley vibes but if ellen ripley had a horrible childhood and had a filthy mouth to boot i mean she wasn't exactly the most subtle of people either but you know revy's revy and the most interesting thing about revy is that you look at her and you're like, wow, she's uh, interesting. She's she's pretty. She's captivating. And then Revy speaks, and you kind of forget all that stuff because again, Revy's just she's very foul mouthed, you know. But that's you know adds to the charm of her character. She's supposed to be this very gruff, very seasoned person, and as you get along with the story, you kind of learn why she is the way she is. And then you go from being, dis not disgusted, disgust is the wrong word, turned off, I guess. You know, Revy puts people off. But as you get to know her, 
that changes and you start to feel just a little bit bad for her because the situation that she finds herself in is not ideal. And you kind of get the sense that she doesn't want to be there. But outside circumstances have just led to this moment. Again, that's what makes Black Lagoon interesting is that it's a, there's a lot of nuances to it. There's a lot of little details. And if you just watch it the first time, you get this whole, oh, it's just an action anime. And did this thing really just ring? Whatever. I'm just going to leave that in the in the show. I don't care. That was my... F- anyway, all these people are part of the Lagoon Company. Lagoon Company is based in Ronaper. There, I said it differently again. And Ronaper is the playground of Black Lagoon. And that leads me to one of my favorite topics of all time. I like it even more than the little details of stories. And that's world building. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the expression, but it's an expression that I absolutely love. Because basically what it means is how much detail, how important was it for the author to make the setting as real and palpable as possible. And a lot of stories don't have to do that because the world building is already done. Uh, an example of that. Uh, let's talk about something that everybody knows. And if you don't know it, you're going to learn something new right here, right now. One of the key differences between Marvel and DC is the fact that Marvel movies take place in a world that's very similar to ours. Not similar because we have superheroes too. More like because the Avengers are based in New York. The Fantastic Four are based in New York. Spider-Man's from Brooklyn. And then you have Superman who's from... I was going to say the Daily Planet. That's, that's where he works. Where the heck is Superman from? Uh, where is Superman from? Oh my god, I'm totally blanking. It doesn't matter. But Superman's from a city that's not real, right? And across the bay, you have Batman and his... And he's from... Where is Batman from? Oh my god, now I'm forgetting where Batman's from. Uh, where's Batman from? Batman is... I was gonna say Arkham. Why does that come to mind? Why does why do I get Arkham and uh Gotham? There it is. Gotham. And Superman is from uh, well he he comes from Smallville, but where's Superman from? Oh man. Where is Superman from? I'm totally blanking. Sorry. Metropolis. I was never going to remember that. See, that's how you can tell that I'm very much more of a Marvel fan than a DC fan. And it's not that I don't like DC. I mean, Batman and Superman, Wonder Woman, DC's got legit heroes. And I think, well, that's for another podcast. Let's just, let's just leave it there. But, but here's the, point that I was trying to make with all that is the fact that the world building in most Marvel movies blah 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 the world building in Marvel movies isn't really too extreme um the authors don't really have to go out of their way to establish currency establish world events or a setting because a lot of it is very similar to real life events so all they really got to do is alter the events where a character, like a protagonist, a superhero, or a villain 
you know, gets himself involved. So, for example, there was a famous comic that came out in 2001, 2002 that had a lot of Marvel heroes and villains react to the World Trade Center. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. I saw that like 10 years later. And I read the comic and I read the criticisms of the comic. But here's the thing. Um, they didn't have to, the comic didn't have to establish that it was this hero that destroyed this tower and the importance of the tower and why it hit so hard and all the deaths. They didn't have to do any of that because the heroes and the villains were reacting to the events of 9-11. And well, who doesn't know what happened on 9-11? That's something that is known everywhere especially if you live in the United States. I mean, everything simply stopped. And just like they used to ask in the past, where were you when Kennedy was shot? Nowadays, for anybody who's old enough, they ask, where were you when the towers fell? And I can tell you where I was. I was getting ready to go to school. And my mom calls me over and she's like, hey, there was an accident. So I, I go to her room because... I had a TV at the time, but it was off. She had her TV on, and as I go in her room, she's watching the towers fall. It's an accident. And then like 10 minutes later, the second plane hits, and yeah, it's not an accident anymore. And well, the world changed. So you, you, do you see what I'm trying to say? When it comes, for example, I talked about Batman before. When they describe Arkham Asylum, the author has to really go out of their way to describe the kind of place it is and what happens inside of it. Just saying Arkham Asylum doesn't inspire fear or dread, but because we all know what happens inside, again, the author went out of his way to establish that. So, because we all know, that's why I don't think any of us would ever want to end up in Arkham Asylum. You, you get what I'm trying to say? That's what I mean by world building is the fact that the little details all come together and it makes the story feel palpable. It makes it feel real. And another great example, an easy example of this is Star Wars. In Star Wars, there's the Jedi, there's the Synth, there's the core worlds, the outer worlds, the outer rim. There are so many things that are thoroughly explained. That Star Wars feels real. And because all this work was done to establish such an expansive setting, you can take stories that, are, that have nothing to do with Jedi and set them in Star Wars. And they work, especially if the characters are compelling. Because you already did all the world building. Now it, you have to put something in it. You have to put like, it's like kids on a playground. You know, you, have, you build the playground and then... Well, if you just build the playground, but there's no kids playing there, well, nothing happens. So you got to put the kids in there. So the same thing, a good story with good world building can be used and used and used again because you did so much work with establishing the playground. You, you get what I mean? So Ranaper is the setting of Black Lagoon, Ranaper in the 90s. And where? Ranaper is is important. Why? <laughs> I wrote that. Why is this important? Well, it's important because Ranaper isn't nowhere near close to the United States. It's in fact not even in Western Hemisphere. 
it's somewhere in Asia. And this is important because it's almost in the perfect place for corruption and drug trafficking. Like, it's in such an interesting spot that all these awful, awful things that take place in Iranapur can happen because the law is not exactly, you know, like firm. In fact, even the people who practice law are, well, they look the other way when things happen. You, you know what I mean. And because the law operates in such a manner, there's this balance in Ranapur. And it's a balance that exists between all the major factions that control Ranapur because Ranapur isn't controlled by the government, which, by the way, you watch that whole anime, they never say the name of the country that Ranapur is in. That's probably the, And that's probably the best move possible because of how awful Ranapur is. Anyway, there's a balance that exists between the major factions that control oh, that control Ranapur. You have the triads that are led by Mr. Chang, and he's just... Mr. Chang, all you gotta, like... If you've never seen the anime, just picture John Woo in the 90s when, with the sunglasses and the dual wielding of pistols. That's basically who Mr. Chang is. Um, Ray Hiroe, who's the person who wrote, who created Black Lagoon, he definitely was channeling John Woo um, and uh, Chow Yun-Fat you know, when he was younger. I think that was Chow Yun-Fat. I'm not looking that up. Y'all correct me. That's Mr. Chang, and he controls the triads, and they're pushing to control the entire city, you know, and do their dealings. And the reason they're pushing is because you have Hotel Moscow, and those guys are basically the Russian mafia. This branch of the Russian mafia is led by Balalaika, who's an ex-special forces, ex-military captain. I think they call her captain in, in the anime. And she leads a whole militia. Like, a whole unit that basically was so loyal to her that when the war in Afghanistan ended in the 80s, because they learned their lesson not to invade Afghanistan in the 80s, and the Americans are learning it now. Anyway, when they lost and they had to pull out, she was so disappointed by what her country did to them that she left. She she went AWOL. And her entire unit went with her, and they became crime, crime lords, crime bosses. Well, she became a crime boss, and her unit joined her i like how i wrote the one thing i wrote about balalaika is that she's one of the most terrifying women to grace an anime <laughs> it's true especially if you, if you watch the anime if not just take my word for that so you got the triads you have the russian the the, the russian mob then you have the italians the colombians and you got a bunch of smaller but equally important cartels and they're all trying to stake a claim to their respective portions of the city. Oh, also, by the way, all these gangs, groups fighting each other. The CIA is there too, because uh, they're keeping tabs. They're making sure that you know nothing gets out of control. So they have a presence. And among all these criminal organizations that operate in Ranapur, you have the Lagoon Company, which again. That's operated by Dutch. And I like how I wrote that Dutch has no last name, just like Cher. And uh, 
Dutch, obviously, he employs Revy, Benny, and Rock. The reason why Ronoper is so interesting is that while Dutch, Revy, and Benny are used to the carnality, they're used to all the crime and all the awful things that happen, Rock is not. So, because Rock isn't, he's our audience surrogate. And I wrote, explain what an audience surrogate is, like if you guys don't know. But I'm going to do it anyway, because maybe you guys don't. Basically, the audience surrogate is that one person in all the stories or movies that's always asking questions. And is the reason, is the reason why you get some exposition. Like, he'll ask, oh, what's going on? And then you'll have another character say, oh, don't you know? And then they go into this five-minute soliloquy about whatever detail. My whole thing, now that we've talked a little bit about Ranapur and its flares and its characters... My whole thing, after watching Black Lagoon a couple times, my whole thing is, how can the city of Ranapur operate like a regular city if it's effectively under the control of these various criminal organizations? And I'll explain what I mean. Um, if something breaks, like a streetlight or a building gets blown up or whatever, uh, in the next episode, or next arc, that building's fixed, or you know that street's repaired. Like, who's doing all that? That's that's my thing. That's that's what it gets to be, and I guess it appeals to me because that's my line of work. But who's doing this? Because, uh, is this does the city operate like like a regular city, and it's just the fact that all these uh, criminal organizations just run rampart, rampart, mm. rampart. How do you say that? Somebody, somebody help me say that. Anyway, do the, does the mafia own a bunch of contractors and do they go out and fix places? Are they replacing windows? You know, the windows that they shot up the night before? Does the mafia have their own people or is the city just paying for that? How's that working out? You see, you see what I mean about the right sort of questions? Because Ranaper is different. Uh, it's, it's not like any city that's portrayed in a lot of media and i know that gotham is filled with corruption i keep thinking about gotham but you can think about any fictional city and most of them work pretty much like like our regular cities now but the thing is ranaper doesn't hide the corruption it doesn't hide all the criminal activity it just shoves it in your face and that's not the case for the real world even though Pretty sure that's how the real world works. So that's why it's it's so shocking. See, the role of police and the conventional political structures that we're used to in the Western world, that's not a thing in Ranaper. The police, if you call them, they're not going to show up to, to help you, to save you. If anything, they're going to show up to make sure that they can cover whatever criminal organizations involved. They're going to cover for them, you know, because they're paying them. Because the police are in their pockets. The, the, the police is in everyone's uh, pocket. In fact, um, there's a character in the show. His name is Whatsup. Yeah, Chief Whatsup. And there's an episode where Rock and Revy, they get into a skirmish. And it's one of my favorite episodes. In fact, it's one of the best episodes of the series. You'll, you'll, you'll know why when you watch it. But anyway, um, they get into a skirmish. And Revy nearly kills Rock, and the police are called because they make a scandal. They're, they were eating at a at a restaurant, outside restaurant. They make a scandal. The police show up, and instead of, um, you know, protecting or calming the people down, 
they just scold Revy because she's shooting in public when she shouldn't be doing that. He even goes out of his way to say, do your dirty business in private. I don't want to get involved. You're making me get involved. I got to do paperwork and I don't want to do paperwork. And I like to think that that's how it, that's how it is in real life with, with dirty cops in places like Ronoper. Not places here in the U.S. Or maybe. I don't know. I've only lived in Los Angeles my whole life. I'm pretty sure Los Angeles is just as dirty as Ronoper. It's just that, uh, you know, it's not out there in your face. And again, the geography of the city, as it's presented to us, the audience, that also has to do with the fact that, you know, it, it basically cements the idea that Ranaper is not like anything you've seen before. And I love that. I love that the author went out of their ways, to, uh, out of their ways, way, out of their way to make the city seem so real. Because they have to. If the city doesn't seem real, then you don't care. That's the crux of it. The thing of it is, is that we probably live in a place that's very similar to Ranaper, and we don't even know it. I said it before. Um, it's more than likely that Los Angeles is just as corrupt and just as dirty. But we don't see it because it's not out there in our face. And while people doubt, you know, how corrupt police are for the most part my experiences with the police have been positive i've even been able to talk my way out of tickets i know some of you have done that some of you not so much and we've all seen what happens to dirty cops how they behave we all know that it's just that ranaper is different here's the thing all the questions that come to mind about ranaper and who keeps the lights on? They're, they're obviously, I think they're very simple. I think the city operates just like any city in the world. You know, the central government controls it, allocates funds to it. Those funds go towards certain uh, departments like lighting and uh, sewage systems and, and the like. All the stuff that we take for granted. The fact that the lights come on, the fact that the water runs, all that stuff that we take for granted somebody has to maintain it somebody has to control it and the city does that you know so the same thing with ranaper the city's controlling all that but the difference is is that you have all these factions and i'm pretty sure they're all connected to the city i'm pretty sure there's very very crooked officials and either the author pays them the mine or we're gonna see that later on as the story develops, because the story is ongoing, it's not finished. So I'd like to see that. I don't know if that's going to happen later on, but that's kind of cool. And again, it's just questions with probably very simple answers. But the fact that a story gets me to ask that question and then makes me think about it, I think that's what's cool. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier on, but Ranaper, and there I go again saying it differently, Ranaper is a city that is out there in Southeast Asia and the time frame for this is the 90s. And the reason why I got to mention this and I'm not talking this way because I don't know what to say. I'm just trying to choose my words carefully. The reason why I mentioned that it takes place in the 90s is because there's another anime that takes place closer to the year 2000, like mid 2000 
And this anime is called Germagon. And as popular as Black Lagoon was, Germagon not so much. And I don't know why. Like, I don't hear people talk about Germagon, and they should. It's a little different. It's a little bit more political thriller. The heroes and the villains are a little bit more... The lines are definitely blur. Let's just leave it like that. Um, the story follows a child soldier, and this child soldier is taken in by an arms dealer. And that's not exactly... That doesn't exactly scream moral compass, you know? There's a crossover between both of these shows. And I always like to think, if there's a crossover between something, that usually means, right? Right, I'm, I'm not saying anything new here. I'm not, like, hitting you with something amazing. I'm just telling you how it is. Usually that means that both stories, both all these events take place in the same universe, right? Just like Marvel and its cinematic universe. I think that's a concept that is pretty well understood by now. So there's a crossover between these stories. There was one... Uh, like I think it was an extra chapter of Jormagon where the arms dealer, which is a young lady by the name of Coco Hekmatiar, I wrote that down and I made sure to say it right. Anyway, Coco, very young in her teens, she actually meets up with the members of Lagoon Company. She actually meets Revy. And Revy's already, you know, in her mid-20s. Revy is already, you know, a grown woman and Coco's a little younger. And I don't know if Chiquita's in there as well. If you've seen Jormagan, you totally know what I'm talking about. If not, don't worry about it. It makes sense that she would be there. The, the, reason, the reason why I bring it up is because while Ronoper is set in the 90s, we know what happens to the world as a whole in Jormagan because of the events of Jormagan. So the implications of this universe and what happens at the end of Germagon are pretty wild. Uh, it would absolutely affect Ranaper. In fact, because what happens at the end of Germagon affects everything. So again, these stories are making me ask questions. And I love asking questions like this, especially whether I can answer them or not. I just, I love that. So observations before we just wrap it up because i think i've been talking for too long ranaper is a city like no other there's a noose that hangs on a bridge on the outside of town and in the show they basically imply that it's like a warning to anyone that crosses that bridge they enter the city you're entering a place that's not like anywhere else on earth this is where the best villains come to try to make a trade and a lot of them survive and despite all that, we do see various factions from the outside enter the city and they try to establish themselves, often with deadly results. You get the Colombians who were hunting Jane. You get the guys who were trying to purchase Diego Lovelace. I can't remember what they were. Were they Colombians too? I can't recall. Can't recall whether they're Colombians too. Eh, maybe that's a sign that I should watch the series again. Then we have some trespassers. Then we have some trespassers that we see enter the city and turn it on its head. Again, I already talked about Diego Lovelace. And while he's just a kid, the person that comes after him is anything but. Watch the anime people. You get the Romani twins. You have Jane. You have all these people that actually came in and they basically made a mess of the city, even more than it already is. 
And the most interesting thing about this show as a whole is that Rock, who comes in straight as an arrow type Japanese businessman type character, we see the effects of the city start to rub on Rock. And this is where the series ends. And what I mean by ends is that there's no more episodes animated, but the manga is ongoing. I hope that we get more content. There's more volumes. I hope we get that. Uh, but just the fact that I'm talking about like the city of Ranapur and not the story. I mean, that, that says a lot, right? There's much more to be said about the series as a whole. There's plenty of Black Lagoon content to be made, and I'm going to explore it again. Whether it's going to be through the eyes of Rock, or like I said before at the beginning, just do a whole episode on Revy. Who she is, what made her that way. I actually think I got a script for that already somewhere, as it is. I know I wrote about her somewhere at some point, but I, I can't seem to recall. Here's a question for you. Another question. Let's ask questions today. If Ranapur was real, would I make the trip? Would curiosity get the better of me and cause me to head to such a dangerous city? No, I wouldn't do that. I don't even like leaving my house. And y'all want me to go to such a dangerous place. But the reality is that people do that. Maybe not go to Ranapur because it's not real. But they actually, they, they go to places that they don't know and they decide to see the back alleys they, they want to see the less frequented areas of a foreign city and unfortunately a lot of them pay the price they end up as the uh, statistics that's what i was going to say they end up as missing people and while the violence that takes place on a nightly basis in ranapur may be a bit too much in real life the ins and outs of that city are not unlike our cities of today i said something like that already right los angeles new york houston Whatever city you happen to find yourself in is probably a lot more like Ranaper than you think. I'm sure of that, especially in places outside the U.S. where corruptions are a little, where corruption is a little bit more apparent. Because if you want to say that corruption is not a thing in the U.S., you're totally wrong. So, with all that said, who keeps the lights on? <laughs> I think the answer to that is fairly simple, right? There really is no mystery, but it's fun to speculate. And with that, our time wandering together has come to an end. We've reached a crossroads and we have to go our separate ways. But fear not, my friends, for I am sure our paths will cross once again. I want to thank the whole lot of you for making such a journey with me. Take time out of your day. Come wander with me a little bit. You know, it means the world to us. And I hope that, at the very least, I entertained you a little bit. Seriously, if you haven't seen Black Lagoon and you like anime, go check that out. If you don't like anime, but you're curious, go ahead and watch it. There's not a lot of tropes to it. Uh, it's, there's not a lot of fan service to it either. Black Lagoon tells a story that would fit on a big screen, live action. And the way it was made and filmed, there's... it. It's more culturally inclined towards American than Japanese. There's Japanese stuff in it for sure, but it looks like it was made by an American director as opposed to a Japanese writer. So it's easy to watch Black Lagoon, even if you don't like anime. It's entertaining. 
If you're curious about Germagon, you can check that out. Both of those are on Funimation. Uh, Funimation subscription is totally worth it, especially if you like anime. Don't sail the high seas if you don't have to. Anyway, if you guys want more, go ahead and listen to our previous episodes. All our content is available for free. One day, I may decide to record some premium stuff. Maybe I'll charge for it. Probably not. Till then, take care of yourselves, my fellow travelers, and 